the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Let's give it up for our one and only, the man, the myth, the legend, super producer, Mr. Max Williams. They call me Ben uh, and Noel. You and Max and I were having an interesting conversation. I just wanted a a gut check before we rolled today where I was asking, I was asking all of us, is it St. Louis or St. Louis. And we we all three are people who say St. Louis. Yeah, I mean, I think it's St. Louis unless you're Bugs Bunny and you want to rhyme it with screwy and then and, and mm-hmm. say so long, screwy, see and St. Louis. Otherwise, I think it's sort of more of a, a not a pejorative, what do you call it? Like a, a slang, sort of like calling mm-hmm. San Francisco Frisco, which people hate who live there, mm-hmm. uh, or calling um, New Orleans NOLA. I think it's a little more socially acceptable from people that live there. Uh, what are some other examples? Oh, yeah, Hotlanta. People hate that here. Yeah, people like Hotlanta. Here, a lot of people will say Atlanta, like U-H-L-A-N-N-A. But I think that's just a regional accent. I don't think anybody's spelling it that way. I'll say ATL in text form because saying it out loud is silly because it's honestly more or the same number it's of syllables work. than yeah. Atlanta, ATL. Yeah. It's the same. But the A, no thank you. No, thank you. We're not. No. We're not. The, we're not the OC or the boo. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll say the A if I'm freestyling and I need to make sure things rhyme. But a lot of stuff rhymes with Atlanta, so I usually get by with that. We're saying this uh, because we we were curious. Um, I don't know whether any of us have. I, I've been to St. Louis. Um, I think we talked about this in the past. Have you, you guys the spirit been, thing there, right? The spirit of <laughs> right. <laughs> and there's an uh, arch you, of some kind. The arch uh-huh. is yeah. So St. Louis is fascinating because it is 
divided across two states, which is neat, right? It's uh, it's near the uh, where the Mississippi River and the Missouri Rivers meet. And there's East St. Louis, which I believe is in Illinois, but I was on the Missouri side. You know what's interesting in general about St. Louis and Missouri is like, it's technically you're getting into like the Midwest, but it's also still kind of the South. So it's sort of like, you know, um, this liminal space, you know, where like North meets South or, or, or Midwest mm-hmm. meets South. And uh, you can you can see that reflected in the cuisine. Uh, you can see that reflected in the people. And, and there's a really interesting mix. It's sort of like that, that one year between like, you know, the, the 80s and the 90s where everything still feels a little bit 80s, but starts right. to feel a little bit 90s. That's kind of what, uh, what St. Louis is to me. Yeah, that's an interesting comparison. Yeah, I mean, I think about that with uh, Cincinnati. That's the city I've been to a number of times as well, because it's like right there, like, you know, part of it's in Kentucky. And it's like you get there and it's like, well, technically I'm in the Midwest now, but it's really still pretty Southern here. Also, talking about the cuisine, they have that terrible cuisine where they put chili on spaghetti. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, I was going to, I bought some of that one time and I guess maybe I didn't go to the right place, uh, but it, it just didn't. Didn't do it all the way for me. Tell me, tell us which uh, place we should get that famous Cincinnati chili from. Also, this reminds me, I met someone who had lived in Cincinnati who referred to their town as the Natty. Mm. Uh, so don't like that. Uh, I don't know if I like that don't either. That. No, reminds me of bad beer. But uh, but today's story is not about bad beer or confusing chili and spaghetti combos. Instead, we are talking about St. Louis in a way that might be new to many people, including St. Louis residents. Uh, Noel, this is something we dive into pretty thoroughly in our upcoming book for Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. St. Louis is a lot of things, but once upon a time, it was, this is a true story, a secret testing ground for some really sketchy stuff. That's right. It's in good company among, I believe, Ben, Savannah, Georgia. It was another place that the U.S. uh, military tested, you know, dispersal patterns uh, or tested chemicals to determine dispersal patterns um, on our own people. And also, I believe there was another one where we dumped like, like, Malaria carrying mosquitoes and stuff. Yeah, I just All I literally sorts. just mm-hmm, it's it's wild. <laughs> um, today we're not talking about either of those things. We are talking about chemical agents, but we're specifically talking about government contractors. Literally, you know, contractors hired by the U.S. government spraying zinc cadmium sulfide which is a chemical powder that's mixed with fluorescent particles um, in order to track dispersal patterns of chemicals. And they're not just spraying it on some like remote island, you know, testing site. They're literally spraying it over populated areas in St. Louis. Yeah. Now, if you are not a chemistry enthusiast or a chemist yourself, you might not be familiar with uh, what Noel just described, zinc cadmium sulfide. It's odorless, insoluble, inorganic, and it's made of zinc and cadmium sulfides, respectfully. It was first made as a paint pigment, and it has a bit of fluorescence to it. This is what was really exciting to Uncle Sam. They said, this will allow us to track those dispersal patterns so we can let this stuff out and we can kind of map 
the way the wind will move it. Uh, similar to how oceanographers use that, uh, that famous rubber duck accident to trace ocean currents. You remember that? Yeah, that, and also that's that's very true. Maybe to a lesser degree, there was like a massive shipping container of Legos that capsized about maybe, you know, half a decade ago. And that's been something that's also been used to kind of track currents uh, by seeing where certain pieces end up washing up on, on beaches. Yeah, so this spraying by Uncle Sam was part of a biological weapons program called Operation Large Area Coverage. So let's let's talk about how this actually happened, how this all went down. At first, when you hear that headline, it sounds crazy. It sounds in no small part illegal, if not just straight up dangerous. So we have to understand this is a product of the growing Cold War. And it starts way back in 1941 when people are worried about foreign adversaries, uh, you know, at, that, at 1941, it's like Axis powers, maybe. They're worried about foreign adversaries conducting biological warfare in the United States and against other allied forces. So the U.S. Secretary of War at the time, Henry Stimson, asked the National Academy of Sciences or the National Research Council to investigate all possible phases of biological warfare. And as a result of this, like the first step the research council takes is to make a committee of nine boffins, nine eggheads, prominent scientists. This will be called the War Bureau of Consultants Committee. And they work in sort of a top secret sphere. They don't officially exist to the public. I don't know what they tell their partners they do. I'm, I'm a consultant. God only knows. You got to be a real good liar to work in that uh, echelon of government or, or have a partner that just doesn't ask questions or both. Um, but they worked uh, assiduously to assemble a, a classified report known as NAS 1942 uh, and determined uh, that uh, biological warfare was incredibly likely to take place uh, and urged that um, defenses be prepared for this uh, eventuality, I guess, is probably a word that the Boffins would have thrown around in, in this document. Uh, it was, in fact, declassified in 1988, so we can actually do a little reading from it. Uh, it goes as such. The value of biological warfare will be a debatable question until it has been clearly proven or disproven by experience. The wide assumption is that any method which appears to offer advantages to a nation at war will be vigorously employed by that nation. There is but one logical course to pursue, namely to study the possibilities of such warfare from every angle, make every preparation for reducing its effectiveness, and thereby reduce the likelihood of its use. Okay, yeah, so that makes sense. They're essentially saying it is inevitable that someone will try to use this and our enemies are doubtlessly working on the same, you know, with the same set of facts we have, so we have to prepare. We have to know how this works. Secretary Stimson listens to the committee. He goes to President Roosevelt, and he pitches it to Roosevelt. Roosevelt listens to him. And so in May of 1942, he says, all right, Stimson, you can chase this pony, right? You can pursue this rabbit hole and see where it leads. 
I'm going to make a new organization for you. Inside the Federal Security Agency, this organization will conduct the new U.S. Biological Warfare Program. And we're going to avoid any public concern about what could happen to the U.S. in the case of an attack like this. And we're going to talk a little bit about this with the United Kingdom and Canada, our cool allies. And, um, you know, we're, we're maybe going to do a trade with our scientists amongst these three countries. Uh, while this is happening, again, the American public doesn't know about this. The American public won't learn about this until the mid-1990s. That's how long it was a successful secret. So essentially, they had a couple aims. They wanted to learn everything they could about the militarization or weaponization of pathogenic microorganisms. Pathogenic just means capable of causing disease. So all those little microorganisms that can get you sick one way or another, that's what they're looking at. And then in turn, they're using that knowledge to figure out ways to defend against those things. And this is, this is a pretty good idea. This seems like day one stuff, but they wanted to do it at scale, Noel. They, they said, look, we can, if our enemies are attacking, they're not going to try to, you know, dose one Johnny Blue Jeans over in <laughs> Illinois or something. They're going to try to dose entire regions. So we need to understand how this biological warfare works on a large scale. That's right. So by 1942, the United States Army Chemical Warfare Service took over this um, this operation in terms of being able to bring that scale that you were describing, Ben, um, that is uh, scaling with research and development program specifically. So in Fort Detrick, which is in uh, Frederick, Maryland, they began their work. So the question becomes at this point, why... Is St. Louis a good site for this kind of testing? This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts of a spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. 
To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's a very interesting answer, in fact, and really just kind of an unfortunate coincidence for the people of St. Louis. Apparently, it was a very decent stand-in for the former Soviet Union. The kind of terrain and layout that was very difficult to match in any American city. But St. Louis had a lot going for it in terms of the size of the buildings. Buildings in St. Louis, for a metro area, it's kind of unusual. They don't exceed three stories. The number of industrial installations and infrastructure that uh, exist both in densely populated areas and in more sparsely populated areas are very, very uh, analogous. Not to mention that there was an ample pool, because it's a quote from, from some of the documentation, of qualified personnel there due to a, a university, um, it, it being a university town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that would, be, that would be personnel that would help with doing field tests and uh, pulling data and all that stuff. So, you know, junior boffins. Right. They would be partially in the know. They might know, not know the full extent of things like Operation LAC, but they would know something was up. And they would probably be happy to have a job, honestly. So this is where the famous classism 
of U.S. society raises its ugly head. The government tries to figure out the best place to test in St. Louis. And they don't go to the nicest neighborhoods. Spoiler alert. From the 1940s to the 1960s, they focus on impoverished areas. And we're getting a lot of this from an excellent book by Lisa Martino-Taylor, the author of Behind the Fog, How the U.S. Cold War Radiological Weapons Program Exposed Innocent Americans. Bit of a spoiler there. Uh, This was a top priority for the government. And they were targeting the most vulnerable people in society. This extended, like you mentioned, though, there were other cities. This extended to Nashville as well, where pregnant women and uh, folks in hospitals were targeted, as well as minority populations, wards of the state. The Nashville series is a, is a little bit different, but let's let's walk through some other programs before we get back to St. Louis. So in Nashville, they actually injected about 820 poor pregnant women with a mixture during their prenatal care that included radioactive iron. They were not told this was happening, by the way. And then later there would be blood tests performed to see how much of the iron was absorbed Jeez. by the mother and then how much was absorbed by the baby when the when the child was born. There were also tests uh, performed in Chicago and San Francisco. Um, so it's not like this was just being done in like flyover states. This is kind of a national effort, you know? No one was really safe. Uh, in California, you had folks that were creating radiation fields inside of a building in North Hollywood High School, and that was uh, in the fall of 1961. Uh, you also had similar stuff happening at the University of California in LA, and also at the LAPD uh, headquarters. This testing also extended to Chicago, Berkeley, Rochester, um, and Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And this was all stuff that was involving the use of plutonium-239. Yeah, which you might recognize as not being a cool thing to be around as a human being. That's what it's maybe most famous for. But uh, Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, double plus on good for you, as Orwell would say. So back to St. Louis, Operation LAC, that's the street name for large area coverage, It was the biggest test ever by the Chemical Corps, and it covered the United States from the Rockies all the way out to the Atlantic, and then from Canada to the Gulf of Mexico. They were trying to prove the feasibility of covering large areas, get it? Covering large areas of a country with biological warfare agents, and For a long time, a lot of folks in academia and in the military totally believed this was possible, but Operation LAC was the first real proof. And um, it's what they did sounds so weird when when you hear it out loud. The Army went to low income areas of St. Louis, particularly a a high-rise, a housing estate, and at schools, and they would set up these motorized blowers to blow this uh, zinc-cadmium sulfide stuff out, and they even, like, went mobile. One of my favorite visions of this is some guy 
I guess they drew the short straw. Some guy literally drove around a poor part of town in a station wagon, and he had his little chemical blower just running out the back of his station wagon. And people, I guess people thought, man, you got to fix your car. Because like now, every time I see a car with a lot of smoke coming out of the pipe on, on the interstate, just some little part of me, you guys, some little part of me is thinking, is he, got, is he burning oil or is that on purpose? So at this point, you have local officials um, being told that the government is testing some sort of smokescreen um, that would be a benefit to the people of St. Louis, that would potentially shield them from being, um, you know, sniped by Russian uh, sky attacks, right? But then in 1994, there's a pivot. And the government says the tests are actually part of a biological weapons program. And St. Louis was chosen for the reasons that we outlined earlier because of the similarity in terrain and uh, city planning, roughly, you know, the best they could do on American soil uh, to Russian cities that the U.S. might one day attack. And, oh, by the way, the material that was being sprayed wasn't, in fact, a smokescreen at all. It was this toxic zinc cadmium sulfide stuff. Yeah, not 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 great. Yeah, it was our bad, folks. Uh, and the the army did this multiple times. Uh, they did it in the fifties. They did it again a decade later. The local officials got their own smoke screen of a story, which was about creating a smoke screen. So it totally gave them plausible deniability to say, you know, what we're doing, really, it's it's patriotic for you to approve this. And it kind of puts you, the implication was, you are at the forefront of technology we're going to use to defend against Soviet attacks, which is, you know, not true. So <laughs> the uh, we have to say, in defense of the folks in the U.S. military and in the in the associated halls of science at the time, they were all under the impression that zinc cadmium sulfide would be like firing a blank from a firearm, that it mm. would not actually harm people. You know what I mean? Like if you, uh, for cat owners out there, uh, one way people sometimes try to modify a cat's behavior is by spraying it with a little water bottle, right? And they had di- uh, you're dispersing water, but it's not going to hurt the cat. It's, it's just unpleasant. Irritating. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's not going to, you know, it's not the same as spraying them with like, you know, uh, sulfuric acid, say. It might look the same, might spritz the same, but it does not act the same. And that's basically right. the case here. Yeah, so once the testing on the good people of St. Louis is exposed to Congress in 1994, the public demands a health study, which is totally reasonable. Uh, And this is where things get sticky because when you think about it, the same overall institution, the U.S. government, that is doing the testing is the same institution that did the spraying back in the day. So it should be no surprise that when the National Research Council a few years later in 1997 said, hey, this chemical is dangerous at large, you know, large levels, high levels, but uh, residents weren't exposed to levels high enough to be harmful. It's no surprise that people didn't believe them and they thought it was a cover up 
rather than a, a decent investigation. And the committee that came to this conclusion, even they said there wasn't a ton of research and they had to rely on what little data they knew from animal testing, which is not the same thing as testing on humans. But what what else did they find here? Like, what did they say about high doses of this stuff? It's kind of scary. It's not a good thing, that's for sure. Um, it is noted, in fact, that high doses of cadmium that uh, can happen in long periods of exposure uh, can actually cause serious problems internally to your bones, uh, your kidneys, and can even lead to things like lung cancer. So this committee actually recommended the army, you know, do follow-up studies with individual, you know, members of the community to determine how much or if any or or you know whether or not zinc had been inhaled uh, or zinc cadmium sulfide rather. So the committee actually recommended that the army do more studies, you know, go a little deeper to figure out whether um, inhaling zinc cadmium sulfide causes it to break down into the toxic components of cadmium, um, which actually are able to be absorbed right into the blood and can produce severely toxic effects in your internal organs, um, including but not limited to your lungs. Uh, as is often the case with these kinds of things, not really quite sure whether they did that thing or not. Yeah. It's it sounds pretty government's nasty. not great at follow up. You know what I mean? They like to put things to bed as quickly as possible. Right. It's not clear if they actually did the follow up study or just said they were going to do the follow up study. We know again that these sprayers were put in multiple locations. We also know that one of the locations was, like we mentioned, a, uh, a housing complex. Its name was the Pruitt Ego or Pruitt Igo housing complex. 10,000 people lived there. Of those 10,000 people, 70% were children under the age of 12. And they were, you know, at ground zero for this. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah. Um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool, I, yeah. I, I just remember, it was my dad's. I, I was a hand-me-down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something, you know? I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac, yeah. Bonneville. 
right? It's- oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was, a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, <laughs> I said El Camino and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man, and funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. We started learning more about this, we being the U.S. public, in 2012 when that sociology professor uh, we mentioned earlier, Lisa Martino-Taylor, conducted a deep dive into what actually happened. And she's based in uh, St. Louis Community College, Merrimack, so she's familiar with the area. And Martino-Taylor started saying, hey, the Army might have also mixed radioactive particles with the zinc cadmium sulfide. She said there was no direct proof, but what she did find was troubling enough that U.S. senators from Missouri wrote to the Army Secretary of the time, John McHugh, in 2012, and demanded answers through a, a FOIA request, a Freedom of Information Act request. And um, she got some results, by the way, in the Army had described this area at the time as, quote, a densely populated slum district. Oof. That's that word, that S word, loaded, you know? And here's the thing. Uh, Martina Taylor was not, or said that she wasn't aware at the time of any lawsuits filed by anyone that was affected by these tests. Uh, there was actually one that was filed um, a month after the statement, but uh, up to that point, she was not aware, and to our knowledge, there were not any uh, lawsuits filed. She also said that the government hadn't paid for any 
medical um, procedures or, or, or care or reparations of any kind, uh, nor was she aware of them even, isu- even issuing a- an apology, which is another thing the government's not very good at doing. Yeah. And, you know, she continued to try to reach out to the army herself and was essentially stonewalled. Another thing the army is quite good at doing. Yeah, and, you know, exactly. Think about the, the brutal calculus that the army engaged in here. The thing about a disadvantaged population is, one, there's less likely to be public blowback. Maybe a poor choice of words for this episode, but you get the gist. Two, these are people who are overwhelmingly not likely to have the means to pursue a case in court in terms of time or money. So it, it makes sense that they would target the most vulnerable. Martino Taylor herself became involved due to a personal connection. She had a colleague who grew up in the targeted area, and this colleague contracted cancer later in life, leading Martino Taylor to wonder if the testing had something to do with uh, that cancer in her adulthood. And the same day, the very same day, another coworker told Martino Taylor that she also had contracted cancer, And she also lived in that test area. So Martina Taylor started researching this as her her thesis at the University of Missouri. And she... Pretty good one. Yeah. And and it was a good thesis as they go. She believes that the study was linked to the Manhattan Atomic Bomb Project and that a group of scientists from the project were developing radiological weapons in 1993 a congressional study comes out that confirms radiological testing, which is, uh, you know, it's like biological warfare testing, but it's just with radiation and radioactive substances. This congressional study confirmed that the testing occurred in Tennessee and parts of the American West during the Cold War, which leads her to believe it's reasonable to conclude uh, there may have been a radiological component to the St. Louis study. Which means that even if zinc cadmium sulfide is not itself as harmful in the amounts that people encountered it, if there was radiological stuff mixed up in that crazy, crazy aerosol smoothie, then that would have been incredibly dangerous. Wouldn't that be nice if you could just get aerosolized smoothies and just, you know, squirt it right into your mouth like whipped cream? Yeah, I've been, I think we're onto something. Maybe not, you know, leave out the cadmium perhaps, but. I would maybe it's like the technology's not there yet. Could could well be. (laughs) I mean, you know, it is hard to aerosolize a thick, slurious mixture. Is slurious a word? I'm going to go with it. This is American English, man. Just get enough people to say it as well, and then boom, tintinabulation. I'm going to start a a change.org petition to make slurious a word. Um, So McCaskill, actually, uh, the senator, uh, agreed that, that this was all kind of a little bit sus, uh, said this, quote, given the nature of these experiments, it's not surprising that Missouri citizens still have questions and concerns about what exactly occurred and if there may have been any negative health effects, um, she said in a statement from her office. Um, our, our hero scientist, uh, doctoral uh, fellow friend, Martino Taylor, said that, again, that these follow-up health studies should be performed, but it needs to involve input from the community, from the people whose lives were actually put uh, at risk, uh, you know, without their knowledge. 
um, by the government and that they should, they're stakeholders in this. They need to have a say um, and be, you know, part of the uh, decision-making process in terms of like the tests and all of that stuff. And uh, yeah, she went on to say their voices have not been heard. Seems pretty clear that that's the case, wouldn't you say, Ben? Yeah, I think it's very clear that their voices haven't been heard. Uh, We need to have direct input from people who live in those areas. Her book, by the way, was published just a few years ago in 2017 in August. It was a follow-up to that 2012 dissertation. It's legit. You know, I've looked into it as well. Like, obviously, no one's making up stories here. Her report triggered an army investigation, and the army, in a stunning plot twist, Max, I don't know what a sarcastic sound cue is, but... Sorry. (laughs) That was smart. (laughs) Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks. (laughs) Absolutely ridiculous. There it is. There it is. Okay, in a stunning plot twist, the Army investigation found no evidence that the testing was a threat. And this is an ongoing event when you think about it. History is never as far away nor as distant as people often assume. There are potential victims who are alive today. For example, from a Business Insider article that our old pal Gabe found by Jim Salter, there are people like Doris Spates. Uh, She was a child when her father suddenly died in 1955, And Spates, in her family alone, she's watched four siblings die of cancer. She herself is a cervical cancer survivor. And because she was born in that housing development I mentioned earlier, at the top floor, of course, she's wondering if the army spewing hundreds and hundreds of pounds of this sulfide into the air had an effect on her family. Four of her 11 siblings dying from cancer, by the way, that's not a normal number. That's not a normal ratio. No, it's not. And this also comes from the article that Ben referenced earlier uh, from the AP writer Jim Salter. Uh, The Army sprayed St. Louis with toxic aerosol during a just-revealed 1950s test. This came out in 2012. So this really is, you know, um, relatively new information that is not... Terribly, terribly surprising. And again, you know, Ben, um, I did my session for the Stuff They Don't Want You to Know audiobook the other day, and a couple of the chapters that I read were from the section on chemical weapons and uh, um, uh, testing. And um, it is very eye-opening and very disturbing and happens more than you would think throughout history. (laughs) Yes, agreed, agreed, unfortunately. And, you know, you can make all sorts of arguments about a, a greater good, you know, that's the, those are the arguments that are made in the halls of power pretty often with stuff like this. The idea that we're going to do our best not to hurt innocent people and privately, never said in public, rarely said in public, but privately the idea is if a few people do get hurt, that's still better than millions dying in a biological warfare attack. It's, it, it's true. I, I mean, well, okay, it's, it's you know, it's people in this level of of government and then with this amount of power, they certainly do have to make some difficult decisions. 
I'm not saying I'm not justifying the decisions that they actually make, but um, I am saying that it's obviously you know a bit of a, a devil's bargain there that you have to make oftentimes when you're in that situation. But you know sometimes I think they go a little bit overboard. Let's just say with testing and looking for scenarios that may or may not actually play out, and you know to what degree. Are they allowing kind of like paranoia and and anxiety of a perceived threat cause them to actually harm their own citizens? Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. What, what do you think, Ben? This is something that you dig into quite a lot. Like, could you put yourself in the position of of a person like that? And, and is there another? Is there an alternative to this? Are these easy solutions that are the most the lowest hanging fruit that require like a certain degree of callousness to be able to say like you know what we've already got a testing ground right here in St. Louis let's just do that uh we we need to save some money and not worry about like building some kind of like simulation yeah well here's the question i think that should be posed to those folks if this stuff is so safe why aren't you testing it over your part of town you know what i mean That's the question for the scientists and the generals uh, and the secretaries, uh, various and sundry. It's kind of like the question for a lot of very powerful business tycoons. If indeed your factory isn't polluting anything, why don't you live down the river, right? Why don't you live in that part of town? So I think the, in a very real way, their choice of disadvantaged populations, however they rationalized it, gives lie to the claims about right. safety. They knew what was up. And this is this is just one instance, like you said, Noel, of multiple other times the U.S. has tested chemical weaponry in one form or another on civilians. We talked about some other times. You can learn about even more times stuff like this occurred in our upcoming book for a different show, uh, Stuff They Don't Want You to Know, publishing uh, in October. You can pre-order now. But in the meantime, we promise we're going to get to something a little bit less depressing in a, a future episode. We have some of the most exciting episodes uh, I, I think we've ever done coming very, very soon. Like, like I think we've mentioned that we're jazzed about our new research buddies, Jeff and Zach. Uh, they have been churning out some incredible uh, stories, uh, digging deep and finding us some really, really fascinating stuff. And I think all of you ridiculous historians out there are going to love them as well. Um, and I think we're also going to, you guys are going to meet uh, Jeff and Zach uh, personally very soon. Yes, yes, that is a ridiculous history guarantee. Uh, So thank you to Jeff and Zach. Thank you, of course, to our main man on the audio ones and twos, Mr. Max Williams. Thanks to Alex Williams, who composed the soundtrack. Thanks to Casey Pegram and folks. We do still talk with Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quister. Saw some questions about that on Facebook. Don't worry, he'll be returning soon. It's just a little weird for us now in our nomadic phase, right? As we move from office to office. Yeah, uh, you, I may have mentioned as well that I recently moved a uh, house. Um, I, I bought a house recently, which I'm very excited about, and I have a studio in my basement. Uh, it's still a little bit crazy and chaotic, though, so I kind of feel like I'm squatting in someone else's creepy basement. But soon it will be full of rainbow-colored lights and art and, and music and, and all, of the, all of those good things. But until then, I kind of feel like a bit of a cave troll. You are the opposite of a cave troll, my friend. We do have a question for everybody. If you 
If you have a story like this in your past or in your family, uh, whatever your neck of the global woods might be, would you mind letting us know? We would love to hear it. You can find us on Facebook as Ridiculous Historians. You can also find us on social media, not just as a show, but as individuals. Mr. Noel Brown, I hear you're blowing up those uh, Instagrams. Oh, I don't know about blowing up. I'm, it's more of a slow burn, really. Um, but you can find me uh, slowly burning on Instagram, where I am at How Now Noel Brown. How about you, sir? Yeah, that's true. Uh, you can find me doing uh, Operation Large Internet Area coverage uh, over on Instagram, where I'm at Ben Bullen, B-O-W-L-I-N. You can get a preview for all the secret projects I'm working on. There are more and more uh, these these past few weeks uh, by going to Twitter, where I'm at Ben Bolin, HSW. Uh, come for my terrible jokes and spoilers and stay for uh, what Elon Musk calls the best part of Twitter, Mr. Max Williams. Yes, you can find me on Twitter at at ATL underscore Max Williams, where I'll be trolling Ben's operation. What is what is what's that acronym? LIAC? Internet. LIAC, is yes. that you- Internet. Large Internet area coverage. Yes. Yeah, 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 I'll be trolling Operation Lyac. So yeah, find me on there at ATL underscore Max Williams. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.